Uh, we are in Jonah, uh, this um, amazing little book. I have it bookmarked so it, does, it takes me less time, you know, so I can get there quicker, uh, because it's only like a page and a half, right? It's the, uh, little, so if you're in Psalms, go right, uh, keep, but go slow. You start getting to Amos, Obadiah, like slow, slow down. If you get really weird, like Habakkuk, Nahum, you've got to go back to the left just a little bit. Uh, this uh, amazing, amazing book. And, and we're talking about... Um, Thinking about um, what is necessary, what is required to change, to, to, to growing in any way, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in, in any way, growing requires a change. And so how, how do we change? How do we grow? So if you're a Christian, how do you mature? Spiritually, like how do we grow? And this book of Jonah is just, oh, it's just so full of so many things. I think a lot about what keeps us in the direction that we're going in life, right? I mean, you're headed in a direction, not just career-wise, like that's a kind of thing, but, but in your thinking and your feeling, you are headed in a direction. What keeps us going in that direction? Uh, Habits, just helplessness, maybe. Um, a lot of times it's heart, you know. Uh, one of the things that uh, it was said, I think it was Emily Dickinson, the first place I can find it recorded, Emily Dickinson wrote in a letter, the heart wants what it wants. So sometimes the thing our heart gets focused on is the thing that keeps us going in that direction. Uh, so what is it that keeps us stuck on a path uh, versus... Uh, uh, being able to mature and change. Uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine a while back. Um, he grew up in a rough situation, rough part of town. Um, I think he'd say good situation, rough part of town. Uh, grew up uh, just playing with the older kids, scrapping, just difficult situation, uh, what we would call for sure financially. and, and Anyway, just a real bad spot. Uh, man, just made it out, right, of a bad spot, uh, ended up at Sanford on a scholarship. I think he still holds receiving records, even though he's only, like, not even six foot. He might be six foot, you know. Receivers, he's there, like, six nine, you know, like, and he still holds, and I, you know, I was talking to him about how he, one day, about how he did that, and he's like, well, you grow up playing in the backyard with kids that are bigger than you, you learn how to, you learn how to do it, you know. And, and I talked to him, he has kids now, and we talk about parenting and being fathers, and, and I asked him one time, Hey man, a lot of what, who you are, right? A lot of the great things about you and, 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 and myself too, but different situation, but, but come from the things that we had to struggle with, like the, like the hardships and the difficulties that we faced. And he's like, for sure, 100%, almost everything I have is because of what I had to overcome. Do you want your kids to have to go through those things? Absolutely not, <laughs> right? Like I don't, so how do we now instill in our children who we don't want to necessarily go through the things that we went through, that devotion to overcoming and, and working. How, how do we change? And, and, and the, the thing is, it seems to me that it, it only comes, or, or it primarily comes, or maybe this is the best way to say it, it most effectively and dramatically comes when we are working through hardships, challenges. That's when we grow. And so this book is so much about this. How do we turn around? How do we change the direction that we're going? How do, and what keeps us from turning around? And, and why am I even the way that I am, you know? 
So uh, this book is just, it's full of people changing and growing, this short story. Uh, it's this dense, uh, masterfully told story uh, full of deep and rich wisdom if we don't oversimplify it. Um, it's about this guy named Jonah who is a prophet, uh, which is prophet, someone who speaks for God. God has given them a message and there are a diff- bunch of different prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, Jonah's different though. Uh, he's a little bit different. Um, he prophesied during the time of a guy, there's a guy, there's a king named, of uh, Israel named Jeroboam, uh, evil king, but God still blessed Israel. There's a whole sermon there, right? God's still working through evil kings to uh, um, expand Israel's border. So Jonah, uh, we know from uh, other parts of the Bible, Jonah was testifying during that time, or was prophesying during that time, uh, and uh, he is sent by God on a mission. He is sent to, God comes to him and says, hey, I need you to go to this wicked city. Uh, their evil has come up against me. As a matter of fact, other prophets talk about this city, Nineveh, uh, as the streets running with blood. Like, that's such an evil city. We actually know from archaeology that it was a wicked, wicked city. And uh, just terrible people. So he says, listen, I want you to go to the city. Uh, and in a comical way, uh, because it's a the book is full of just these comical moments, right? Like, uh, if you're reading through it, it opens up with, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, uh, go uh, to the city of Nineveh, the great city. Uh, the call against, uh, for evil has come up against me, their call. And then verse three, so you, if you read this, you're like, dude, I know who Jonah is. I know where Nineveh is. I wonder how this is gonna turn out. They're probably gonna go proclaim God's judgment coming on them. And then verse three comes, and it's just hilarious. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Like this prophet of God just gets up and goes the other direction, which is hilarious, right? If you're reading this for the first time and you know the history of Israel, a prophet going the other way, what's happening? So he goes the other way, and then God hurls this huge wind upon the sea. There's a mighty tempest. So he's on this boat. He's basically paid for passage to another place. And the people that are on the boat, the mariners were afraid. And each of them is crying out to their own God. They're throwing stuff overboard. And meanwhile, Jonah is just asleep in the bottom of the boat. Right? He's, we don't know why. He's just out. And the captain goes down to him and says, like, what are you doing, man? And he repeats the phrase that God said to him, get up and go. And so he probably is like, I I picture him waking out of this stupor, just like terrified, right? Like he's in a nightmare. You hear God's uh, God's words coming out of this uh, pagan's mouth. And he says, what do you mean? Why are you sleeping? Get up, cry out to God, pray. Interestingly, no evidence that Jonah prayed at all after he's told to do this. Uh, Get up and pray that we might not perish. Uh, And so they they say to each other, like, listen, um, they cast lots, we gotta figure out why this is happening to us. Uh, lot, of course, falls on Jonah, and Jonah says to him, they, they said to Jonah, like, what is happening? Tell us why this is happening, and who are you, where are you from? Ask him some questions. Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. Uh, fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, um, and the men are terrified. And uh, they say to him, like, what have you done? And they keep trying to, he says, like, I'm fleeing, from, he's told them already he's fleeing from the presence of this God. And they said to him, um, like, what, what, what do we have to do? Like, tell us what to do. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what they should do. So they go to Jonah and are like, listen, man, like, if it's you and you admit you're doing it, like, tell us what to do to make it stop. Like, what do we have to do? Just tell us. They don't know. And Jonah says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And the sea will quiet down. I know this is because of me. Uh, and the men, instead, caring for Jonah, just try even harder to row back to land, but they just absolutely cannot. The sea gets worse. Uh, 
and they cry out, what are we gonna do? God, don't hold us accountable. We don't know what to do. And they pick up Jonah and they throw him in the deep. All right, before we jump into chapter two, which is where we're primarily gonna be today, let me go ahead and tell you, just brace yourself for a hard landing today. It's gonna get away from me. And at some point I'll go, oh no. I've used up all my goodwill and we'll just crash land the plane and we'll pick it up next week. It's fine, it's fine. But I gotta talk about this thing because before we get to the prayer in chapter two, which is the whole prayer, the whole, the whole chapter two is a prayer. It's Jonah talking to God. Uh, before we get to that, we have to, like how did Jonah get to this place, right? We have to talk about this, this, this thing, which is this. Um, I find it very interesting how these, how these characters see the world. Does that make sense? How they understand making it through life. Uh, it fascinates me. Um, here's what I mean. Um, we tend to believe, because of how we've grown up, the, because of the water we swim in, right? You know? We believe that um, what we think and feel and say and do comes from this magical little place inside of us. And it's not affected by anything else but who we are. And that's just kind of the world we swim in, the water we swim in, the world we live in, is that, that we believe that our thoughts and our feelings and our actions are uniquely us in some way. That we're not impacted and affected by the world outside of us. These guys, these people don't believe this. Like when something bad happens, like they're out doing a thing they've done, they're mariners, they're, 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 they're sailors, and they're out, and they're like, something's happening, man, this is a pretty rough storm, and so they keep trying to go, and the storm gets rougher, and they're like, man, this is crazy, and it reaches a point, at some, at some point it reaches a level where they're like, something beyond us is happening, something beyond the normal is going on, pray to your God, you pray to your God, you pray to your God, you pray to your God, something's out to get us. Something's trying to, like, it's clear something is happening. They lived in a world where they believed that there were forces outside of them, that there, were spiritual, there was a spiritual realm that impacted the lives of humans. Now their theology might be wrong, but you know what? I don't think their worldview is. We live in a world, we are, we are not impervious to the impacts of what go on outside of us. That there are things that, well, the Bible talks about it from the very beginning. I mean, in Genesis 4, uh, Cain is, is thinking about it and so upset and so angry, and God says to Tim, like, why are you mad? Don't you know that sin wants to devour you? That's the world we live in. That sin is out to devour us. Hey, all that stuff, we go to, we go to the New Testament, and, and Paul, uh, this beautiful imagery of, of putting on the armor of God, Right? Like, that's to prepare to spiritually fight, right? Because there's gonna be a battle, and we need to be equipped to stand our ground. We live in a world, a spiritual world, a world full of spiritual things that, that, that want your attention, that want your affection. Let's say you're not, a, let's, you're like, hey, you know what, you're going too far, Chris, I get it, I hear you, uh, but let me at least, let me put it this way at least. Surely, even if you don't believe in a God, surely you can concede that, let's just say it this way, uh, there are forces in this world, let's call it, how about this? Surely you have to believe that there are people in this world that will do everything they can to drain you of every nickel you have. 
that will spend billions and millions of dollars advertising to you, convincing you that you absolutely have to have that t-shirt, that sweatshirt that says Muscle Shoals Sounds. I need that sweatshirt. Who doesn't need a $400 sweatshirt that says, in Alabama, that says Muscle Shoals Sound? It's like they know me and are trying to take $400 from me. Now, I... As I've said before, like, Chris, are you saying that there are demons behind social media and advertising? No, of course not. I'm not saying that there aren't evil forces behind these things that are trying to compete for your attention and your affection. The Bibles would say that those are spiritual forces that that want you to do a certain thing and behave in a certain way. And we can see that that's the world we live in, but we pretend that we're impervious, that our ideas are our ideas, that the reason that you love this certain design and you would love your house to look this way is because you came up with it out of your own little brain. Nope. We've just seen enough pictures to go like, you know what, I do want a house that looks like that. And then in 10 years, I want a house that looks very different than that. Because we are influenced by things outside of us. They lived in this world where they understood that. Get up and pray to your God. Right? Maybe he'll take pity on us and save us. The other thing that that I think is interesting that they believe, that I think that we struggle with, is that someone who has is not doing what God has called them to do impacts more than just them. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? Like, here's the way that I'd say it biblically. We tend to believe that, not biblically, like in the world we live in, we tend to think that my sin is my sin and it's a private sin. They don't believe that. They believe that my sin could affect other people. How about that? That's stunning. They believe, Jonah, the boat is sinking. What have you done, man? They believe this crazy thing that there's in this world that when I live in a way that does not accord with the reality that God has designed, that bad things, I know it's hard to believe, but let me just say it this way. How about this way? Let's take a common one. Right, and, and if you read uh, stuff, you read stuff online. A common thing is uh, pornography. Pornography is a, just rampant. Um, you, private problem, right? If you struggle with pornography, it's a private problem, right? You've lost your mind if you think that doesn't affect marriages. If it affects marriages, you don't think it affects children? Man, we're riding in this boat together. Right, And they seem to believe that the sin of one, the disobedience of one, my disobedience in my life, might somehow impact the lives of those around me. That's amazing. Here's, here's what's so great about this. If you want to turn around, if you want something different, if we want something different to happen in our lives, we have to be humble enough to know that there are bigger things in this world than you and me. And that our life matters more than just me. People that care about me and people that I care about, man, my sin impacts them. My life impacts them. My pride, my arrogance, all of these things, they're in that boat with me. And so I just believe that we are more porous and affected and affect others way more than we are told that we do commonly. 
Does that make sense? So they had this worldview that I think is fascinating in helping us turn around. As long as I believe it's just me and my life is just about me and I'm living out of me, there's never any humility that says, I need to consider turning around. I need to consider changing, that I'm being influenced and affected by other things and that my life is affecting other people. Perhaps I need to live differently and turn around. Jonah's not there yet. Not there. They say to him, get up and pray. And uh, they pick him up, and they throw him in. I'm not laughing. I shouldn't laugh, but it's just a comical scene, right? They're, they're, they're freaked out, right? They pick him up. O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not an innocent blood on us, for you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. So these pagan sailors are like, like, I don't, we don't know what else to do. We're going to do the thing that God told us to do. Man, please don't, like, we don't want to be held guilty for this, but we don't know what else to do. We don't know what else to do. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea. Sea immediately stops raging. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. Throw him into the water, stops. They're like, what is happening? This God must be amazing. So they freak out. And I don't know if they just added Yahweh. David did a great job of this last week. So good, so grateful for his preaching. I don't know if they just added Yahweh to the rest of their pantheon of gods or if they were uh, God-fearers for the rest of their life only. I, I don't know. But, but they, they immediately see that this God is powerful and they are in awe at this situation. So they're like, you know what? We're gonna stop what we're doing worshiping. Meanwhile, Jonah's sinking. Like, he's just sinking, straight down, just floating down. Down, 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 down. Life is seeping out of him. He's more dead than alive. He is in despair. And then if you're reading through this story for the first time, chapter one, verse 17 happens. And it says this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and nights. What a weird thing. In a story, right? Like you didn't see that coming. This is the first time you've heard it. I mean, just think about this. The Lord appointed a great fish. God sent a fish. He set aside a fish and said, hey, when this dude goes in the water, gulp him up. And the fish does. I have questions. And they're not related to the miraculous nature of this, right? Like, I hate some people get to this point in the story and they're like, well, that's too much. I can't handle that. I'm like, you're okay with the God who made everything, but not one that can make a fish swallow a dude? Come on. That's not my issue, right? My issue is not that. My issue is basically this. Why? Why did God appoint a fish to swallow Jonah? I mean, I mean, it's not because God couldn't have sent somebody else. Right? I mean, there are other prophets alive. Like, Amos is alive, man. Hey, uh, Jonah's at the bottom of the sea. Amos, I need you to go to Nineveh. Like, God could have just sent somebody else. Why save Jonah? Another possible question. Why save Jonah? Because I gotta say, up to now, doesn't seem like he deserves it. Not, he's not done any of the things. 
He's not obeyed. He's not, I mean, he, he's running and he, he, he's so far gone. He's in such despair. I mean, he, he's, he's just so rebellious. He's gotten to a place in his life where he's in such despair. He's running from this God who he knows is in control of everything. He's fleeing from this God. And that's what happens though, right, to rebels, right? When we run from God, like we never get to a place where we're like, ah, this didn't work out. I guess I should just go back. We just, just get, we just get to the end of serving this thing that's held our attention and we just sit down and moan and weep. That's where Jonah is. He's like, I can't get away. Just kill me. And God won't let him die. <laughs> what? Throw me into the sea. I'm done with this. I just want the sweet release of death. And God's like, nope. I mean, like, if you're getting tossed into the sea, like, what you don't see coming is getting swallowed by a fish. This, this scene, right? Why, I, here, here's why I think he did it. I think, I, think okay, I know this is why he did it. Because Jonah needs to learn something. That's why. Because Jonah needs to learn something. That's why he gets swallowed by the fish. So he's swallowed by the fish, uh, and then he has this, this amazing prayer. Here's the prayer. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. I'd like to point out at this point, by the way, it's been three days. Uh, I mean, like how many days before you start praying? Right? I mean, like, day two, you're like, nah, still not doing it. Anyway. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord and said from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord, to Yahweh, out of my distress, He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple And those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. When I vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. What a wild ride. Jonah is in there three days. And this psalm is like um, other psalms. Except it's full of imagery of of death or or near death, right? Or or at least of life slipping away, right? The idea of of being in the depths, of being barred in forever at the base. So the idea of Sheol in in the Bible, uh, I think the images uh, that you see sometimes is that it's below the earth, right? You know? Uh, and so the idea of this place of the dead, uh, the grave, it, it held me in. These are images of the grave, of him being near death. Uh, and so he, he cries out to God, right? He, he realizes he doesn't want to die. And he cries out to God and God delivers him. 
His worldview is fascinating, by the way. I hate to go back to worldview, but I don't. I'm just kidding. That was a lie. I don't mind at all. His worldview is, is um, in the imagery he's using of the deep, right? In, in Hebrew literature, in ancient literature in general, uh, ancient general uh, in lit- sorry, in ancient literature in general, uh, the image of, or the sea in general, was just this scene of chaos. I, I like old maps sometimes, right? Not always, but sometimes. My favorite old maps are the ones that they don't know what's over there. So if you, you, can, you can see this. So they'll, they'll say, here be dragons. They don't know what's there, so they're like, this is where the dragons are. Like, they're out there somewhere. We've never been here. That's where they gotta be. The idea of the ocean is like, was like terrifying. We, they didn't have James Cameron, who makes a bunch of money off Titanic and goes in a submarine down the alone and shows us pictures of weird fish right? Like the sea was chaos all the way through scripture. In the very beginning, in the beginning, uh, God was hovering over the face of the deep. The deep is the chaos. It is the, the undoing. It's tied to the idea of death. Why? Because it's terrifying. I have this plan. I, I don't know that's always gone away is what I'm saying. I have this idea that I would like to watch in a lake like floating on an inner tube, right? You would like an inner tube and float in a lake right near the dock and then on the dock you're just showing the movie Jaws. Like the TBS version. I know there's bad stuff in it. Watch the TBS version, the edited version. Who would do that? Not me. Uh-uh. Not, you know why? There's not sharks in lakes. There's no sharks in lakes. Why wouldn't you do that? Because what you can't see below you is terrifying. This scene of death and the fact that something's going to come up and get you, that's what he's drawing on. This image, I was in the grave. I was in the terrifying. I was in the undoing. And there, even there, God met me and showed me grace. I cried to him. And so let's look at this. Here's, here's what Jonah has, going, Jonah has going for him. One thing that he has going for him, how he gets there, right? Because that's what I want to know. How does he get to this place where he, he turns around? And by the way, this is just step one. Uh, we find out in chapter four, he doesn't make it all the way in this chapter. God has more dealing to do with Jonah. But in this chapter, let's see how we get there. Chapter, uh, first thing is this, uh, that I noticed is that he, um, three days and three nights to think about it. God's like, hey, go to your room, turn out the light, and think about what you've done. Right? There's this stillness and this quiet to reflect, right? Like, I'm not jealous, don't get me wrong, that must be horrifying. And I'm assuming that he only found out three days and three nights after he was spit out on the ground. He's like, what month is this? And they're like, he's like, three days? I'm assuming there's no way to tell time in the belly of a, of a fish. So he's like, three days and three nights, he's just got plenty of time to think about it, right? To, to, to reflect and, and, and to think about who God is and what he's done, to, to think about what God is like. And, and to reflect on what he needs to do. He has three days and three nights of stillness. I don't know how what last time that we had three hours to be still and think about it. To reflect on who God is and what he's like. Three hours. He has three days and three nights. I don't want to call it a gift, but man, what a gift to be forced into a place where you contemplate God's nature. So he has that going for him. If we want to change, kind of, we're going to have to find stillness, right? Because the things competing for our attention are fierce. So he has this stillness. And the other thing that he has going for him um, uh, is that he cries out to God. That's the first thing that happens. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. I'm really good 
at identifying the issue and then complaining about it? Moaning about it? Making excuses for it? It's weird sometimes how long it takes me to cry out to God when, something, when, when troubles arise. If we don't cry out to God, <laughs> what we're revealing is that we're trusting something else. See, Jonah still hasn't let go of his understanding, of his faith in. Jonah has faith in something else other than God. He has faith in this idea that justice must be done. There's no way we find out later that he wants to go to Nineveh, not because he's afraid of death, not because of any other reason other than he is afraid if they repent, God will forgive, and he wants no part of that. The way he sees the world is a just world, and they must be dealt with. Yeah? That's what he says in chapter four. He will not let go of that. So he has three days and three nights to think about that. In the belly of a fish to think about his idea of justice and decide that maybe God knows better and his faith begins to grow. I don't understand what you're doing, but I see that you're a God who saves. His faith begins to grow and he cries out to God. Listen, seek God with your whole heart. Wherever you are at in your life, wherever you are struggling, whatever you're struggling with, don't worry, don't moan, don't complain and doubt. Or if you are doing those things, also cry out to God. When we pursue him, he answers. Even if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, here's my encouragement to you. Cry out to God. Tell him you need him, you need to know him. Cry out to God. And then this amazing thing happens. How are we doing? We're going to be fine. You might not make it to Quincy's on time. That's a throwback. That's right, that was a throwback. Um, so right here at the center of this, this amazing thing happens. Here's what Jonah says. I'm driven away from you, yet again I shall look upon your holy temple. He makes this reference to temple. I remember the Lord, my prayer came to you in your holy temple. He makes reference to this temple multiple times. He thinks about God and his temple. Here's what happens in God's temple. Where God sits, the way all of the stuff before, like Genesis, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, we haven't quite gotten there in our study of Exodus. When we get back to it, we'll get, we'll get there. But what's happening in this God's temple is what he's constructed is this way for God to live among them. And it's in the very center, the very back of this area, there's this, there's this cube, and it's called the Holy of Holies. And it's built in a certain way, it's cubic inside. And inside the temple where God dwells is over what's called, with the Ark of the Covenant's there, and it's had these two terrifying creatures on either side, uh, these cherubim. And, and it, inside the Ark of the Covenant is several things, but, but one of them is God's law. The, tab, the, the tablets that, that Moses carved, or that God carved out and gave to Moses, they're in there. The second set, the first set was destroyed. They're in there. God's law. Here is God's law. So God's law is there. I think Jonah's real good with that. But also, right above that, on where these, these terrifying creatures were, these cherubim were, that's what's called, right above there, it's called the mercy seat. And, and once a year, the priest would go in there and he would throw blood on the Day of Atonement. He would throw blood against the mercy seat to atone, to, to make payment for the sins. Somehow God allowed the life that was in the blood to count for and cover the sins of the people. So every year they would have this dramatic ritual that was days long preparing for it where you would throw blood against the mercy seat and God would not count the sins of the people against them. This is what Jonah draws his attention to. 
He draws his attention to the fact that God is merciful, that God is gracious. And I think somewhere in the belly of this fish, over those three days, Jonah being mad about the Ninevites, mad that God wouldn't let him die, grateful that he was saved at the same time, I think somewhere along that place he gets, he gets to the place where he realizes that even God's law, all the law that he cherished, the, the law that he followed, that he was always going to stand and fall short of the law and that he, Jonah, also needed the mercy seat. At the center of our lives, the center of scripture, there's a tension, not a tension, but a, but a question. See, <laughs> grace is the center of, it's, just, it's the center of, of what we believe, it's the center of what we do, this, this depth of grace. Uh, Jonah's just broken by his need of grace in this moment. Grace is this, grace is just, it's undeserved favor and merit. Getting something you don't deserve, being let into a place you don't belong. That's what grace is. And for Jonah, for us, what it is, it's into the very life of God. We are let into the very life of God, not because we've earned it, because of what he is like. But here you still have a problem. What about justice? We want justice, right? Jonah wants justice. You and I, if we get right down to it, there are things happening in the world and we want justice for them. Where is the justice going to come from? And it is in that mercy seat that Jonah looks to and says, you know what? I deserve justice as well, but I need grace. Somewhere in this mercy seat, somewhere in this place where blood is spilled, you are doing something. Jonah doesn't know what we know, right? That there's the cross is coming, right? That, that the cost of sin, the justice required would be fulfilled by another, the cost of our sin was so great that a price would have to be paid. He doesn't know how that's going to work out, but he has this beautiful picture that, that we get grace because justice was meted out on another. And there's this gorgeous picture that he realizes. And this is how we live. This is how we live. This is how we change. We cry out to God and we look to what he is like. We look to him for grace and mercy. We ask to be let in where we do not deserve to be let in. And Jonah says this. In the middle of this, he's talking about all this, and he says this amazing thing. Uh, He says, uh, my life is fading away. I remember the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. The people who pay attention to idols that don't even matter, vain idols, they forsake, they don't get a chance at, they they lose access to steadfast love. Here's my question. Who's he talking about with these idols? Is he talking about the Ninevites? Is he talking about in general or is he talking about himself? Recognizing that he has made an idol out of a certain way of living and a certain way of thinking and he will not let go of it when he's confronted with God's grace. We make idols all the time. The heart is a, human heart is just a nonstop idol factory. And it's not just us being angry at this person over there and this bitterness that Jonah goes on, we do this all the time. Uh, It shows up in our hearts in bitterness. It shows up in our hearts as lack of gratitude, right? 
That's idolatry, right? If I had that, or why do they have that and I don't? Lack of gratitude is just a huge revealer that we believe, we have faith, that if we had those things, if life was that way, then everything would be okay. And it shows up in our hearts so often as a lack of gratitude. Look, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, um, man, practice gratitude. I mean, one of the greatest ways to, to find uh, a better place in your heart and your mind, a better way to live, is, is to practice just generosity and gratitude. You practice those things, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think it'll help you because it falls into truth, his truth, right? I mean, you have a problem, right? You have a problem, right? Here's the problem. One, hell. Two, like, who are you grateful to? Like, you have this need to feel grateful, but to whom? <laughs> yeah. Christians, you know, you, this makes sense of our worldview that the world was created to be this way because it's in the nature of God to be radically generous and us to respond in gratitude. To kill those idols because those idols, there's no hope of salvation. It is this grace and the salvation and these beautiful things as we long for justice and we long for mercy and grace. It is this beautiful picture of Christ that shows us how God has resolved these things, how he is making all things new. It is these these things that break our heart of stone, right? Turning around requires understanding grace more deeply. That's what it takes. To understand God's grace more deeply. To understand how radically he loves us. To understand how radically undeserving we are. That's why we always constantly point to the cross. It is there that we see how much our sins cost, how awful our sin is. Our worst, this is, what it, this is who we are. Our best, this is what it costs. Also, how deeply loved you are at the exact same time. This transforms your whole life. Your relationships and someone treats you, let's say you're married, and, 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 or you just family members, whatever, any relationship you're in, and someone treats you in a way that you don't deserve to be treated. The cross tells you, yeah, that's gonna happen. And you begin to apply how deeply loved you are, and you learn through that process of applying that truth and that reality of God's grace and justice on Christ, and it transforms your heart in such a way that you are now able to pray for that person and to love that person, even though they treated you in a way that you don't deserve, and you can now treat them in a way they don't deserve by loving them anyway. It radically transforms you, and I'm not drawing on other people's opinion of of me from my strength, but I'm drawing on the reality and truth of the cross for who I am. That transforms those relationships. All right, here comes the crash landing. Our lives are radically transformed. If we want it to turn around, it requires us understanding God's grace and stopping, finding that place in our heart. It's not just one thing. There's places in our heart where we do not trust, we do not believe. If we let go of this thing, our faith is so strongly in this idea, this person, this relationship, this, this thing, our, our faith is so deeply tied into that thing that if we let it go, we believe there's no way that we will ever be happy. What we have to do to let go of that is not to push it down, but to turn around and see the goodness and graciousness of God. And let that push the other idols out of your heart. You're not going to destroy these idols. It's the love of God that will destroy these idols for you. So we lay, lean into understanding God's grace in all aspects of our life. That breaks our heart or stone. That allows us to turn around. Jonah needs to be taught grace. And here's the deal. It doesn't come all at once. (laughs) God loves you so much. 
He wants you to understand the depth of his love and his grace so much. He wants this beauty in your life so deeply that if he has to drag you to the bottom of the ocean to teach you, he'll do it. And on the other side is so much beauty and so much truth, such a deep relationship, being invited into the very eternal life of God through faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that you do not deserve it, that it is a free gift, that is a beautiful place to live. That is a beautiful way to live. It allows so much when you understand how deeply God loves you. Jonah did not deserve the whale. He did not deserve any of it, but God acts this way anyway. He teaches us through the hardships. He teaches us through the struggles, all of the things that we're going through. He offers to teach us and lead us in the process of destroying idols in our heart as God's grace just flows in and wipes them all away. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the truth. Repentance is difficult, but in the end, it sings. Let's pray. Father, you are good. Give us strength to turn around. Give us strength to stop relying on our own idea of what reality needs to be like and then trust yours. Even when it doesn't make sense, how could I possibly be happy without that relationship? Because you have given us a deeper relationship. How could I possibly be happy without these things? Because you provided for us eternal life. How could I possibly ever be satisfied apart from this path? or that path, because you have provided the path to eternal life. Father, we have faith. Increase our faith. We have love. Increase our love. Increase our joy. May the love and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy, all of these beautiful fruits of the Spirit that grow in the soil of idols destroyed. Give us that strength and give us that peace. Give us that faith. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.